All right, everybody, uh, welcome to Beyond Barriers. Um, tonight, uh, or today, our special guests are Rick Eaton and Allison Sloven from the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Uh, welcome, Rick and Allison. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Rick, uh, uh, well, actually, we'll start with Allison. I just wanted, uh, for the listening audience, for those that didn't know, uh, don't know about the Simon Wiesenthal Center and, and the work you all do, um, Allison, could you give us a little bit of history on, on some of the things that you guys do? Absolutely. The Simon Wiesenthal Center is named for the famous Nazi hunter, um, Simon Wiesenthal, which is pretty ironic given your past background that you'll be speaking to a center named for the gentleman who was um, lifelong dream was to bring um, justice, not vengeance. And the center was for, um, founded about 40 years ago by a gentleman by the name of uh, Rabbi Marvin Heyer. He's still the founder and dean of the center. And yes, we memorialize the past, but we also work today to change tomorrow. Because unfortunately, as you know, as we are witnessing in the world today, hate hasn't gone away and it continues to flourish. And that's um, what Simon Wiesenthal taught Rabbi Heyer. And that is we have to take the lessons of the past, like the Holocaust or other genocides, to fight for the, um, uh, the, the, the children of today so that we can live in a peaceful world. And um, I'll let Rick introduce himself, but he's really very involved in looking at what's going on in Hayden in this world and on the internet. And that's a lot of what we do at the center to try to bring it down. Rick, uh, and, and your role at the Wiesenthal Center, and, and I, I should have prefaced that. Um, Allison's the Midwest director, and Rick, um, uh, for the Wiesenthal Center, and Rick, could you tell us about your role a little bit? Yeah, I'm the uh, senior researcher, and I'm the, the co-director of our uh, Digital Terrorism and Hate Project. Uh, I've been with the center for 34 plus years, so uh, when I started, we, uh, we didn't even have uh, uh, digital media. We barely had computers. So my job started being, uh, you know, subscribing to publications, uh, you know, newsletters from the Klan and, and white supremacists and Tom Metzger and other people. And uh, that then uh, uh, morphed into other things, including obviously the digital world as, as that came along and actually uh, going to uh, going to some meetings and finding out, uh, uh, you know, what various groups were doing and the types of uh, directions that they were going in. So it's been a very unique experience over the years. Right. And, and um, I wasn't even aware of, of all the different things you guys did until you and I met when when I first got out of the movement and, and uh, you came out to Detroit and, and explained some of that. And apparently uh, we had crossed paths many years ago when I was in the movement. So that was a really, uh, I don't know if we should talk about that or not, but it was, it was pretty interesting to me because I wasn't even aware. I knew that the center, um, you know, tracked down uh, war criminals and, and things of that nature, but I had no idea that they monitored uh, uh, the modern day movement, you know, so that was a bit of ignorance on my own part, but it was really an interesting story. 
I think the other thing that the center does that's, that's important is to understand that we have a Museum of Tolerance in Los Angeles. It was open, founded um, more than 25 years ago, one of the first Holocaust museums in the United States. And what makes it unique is that we do, of course, teach about the Holocaust. We educate people of, from a perspective of what hate and propaganda can do and change the minds of what we would consider ordinary people and how that hate and propaganda um, worked in uh, Hitler's benefit to, to Hitler's benefit and but from there what's happened in the world since then and the other genocides so since the Holocaust which we haven't learned from we've had Darfur Rwanda Cambodia 9-11 Daniel Pearl and I can go on and on and on and um, I think that that's the important part of what we do and I think that the other important part is it's about education we need to educate people about hate we need to educate people about what they're seeing online, about how to speak to others, about how to be respectful to other communities, mm -hmm. especially today, especially more than ever, as we're witnessing the discourse between, unfortunately, a black community and the Jewish community with recent events. And we need the leaders to step forward and, 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 and create harmony or at least um, understanding within communities because mm -hmm. we're not getting, these kinds of um, actions aren't getting us further along in our, in our struggles. Right. And um, I think I, the, the work of the Wiesenthal Center is absolutely phenomenal, especially in, in the, some of the community bridge building and things like that. And that's actually a couple of the questions I had for you, Allison, um, was I saw in the, in the news just recently that uh, Nick Cannon apologized to Rabbi Cooper and, and some of the positive relations uh, uh, the mm -hmm. Simon Wiesenthal Center does in building and bridging the gap between other other communities and things like that. Uh, I think for a lot of the uh, listeners or viewers that are out there, I, I certainly didn't know about it until I, I met you in, in Chicago. Um, and you introduced me to uh, uh, Juliana that works with the Assyrian people and the persecuted Christians. And, and uh, I mean, this is absolutely phenomenal work that the Wiesenthal Center does on behalf of all of humanity and I think the public and I'm, I can't speak for all of the public but I know for myself I thought that it was specifically and just focused on Jewish issues and Jewish issues alone um, before I you know before I met you all and um, I think that uh, it's really important uh, that the public understands how much work the Wiesenthal Center does in, in regards to uh, you know, community building between all kinds of persecuted communities. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. It, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And, and uh, maybe if you could elaborate a little bit on that too. Thank you. So Rabbi Cooper, you know, what happened with um, Nick Cannon, um, the way that we react is to reach out to the person who said, anything that was offensive or anti-Semitic because it's an educational moment if they're willing to listen and to explain to them. And I will give Nick Cannon credit for that because I don't, he apologized. He said he didn't understand from where, what he was saying and how offensive it was and that he was willing to learn from it. And Rabbi Cooper will be going back to the Wiesenthal Center with um, Mr. Cannon to show him artifacts from the Holocaust, to show him Hitler's letters, to really get him to understand about the Holocaust. In addition to that, before the pandemic, Rabbi Cooper went with other faith leaders to Nigeria 
because in Nigeria, um, Christians are being killed in genocides and groves. And I'm very proud of an organization that does stand for the other. We had footage probably about a year ago that um, I had seen through Wies involved 6,000 women and children, Christian women and children who were murdered and put in mass graves just because they were Christian. And we cannot stay quiet or blind or keep a blind eye to, to the injustices of the world. And, and Rabbi Cooper has also had other interactions uh, with, with interfaith leaders and including the Muslim community. And he's, he's worked with Muslims in, in various countries and in fact is the, uh, the only rabbi, I believe, ever to be invited to a uh, religious conference in Azerbaijan with, uh, with you know, 99% Muslims uh, and other interfaith communities as well. So uh, there's, there's a lot that, you know, many people don't, as you say, don't hear about what we do uh, because they, they, they automatically think that we're only concerned about Jewish issues. Right. That's, I think it's really phenomenal. And, and that's, uh, that in and of itself is, is just uh, incredible. And that's why I have so much uh, uh, love for the Wiesenthal Center and, and uh, everything you both do. And, and it's really an honor to have you uh, both on the program uh, today with us. And, and Rick, uh, I wanted to ask you a, a couple of things too. Um, uh, specifically in some of the work that the Wiesenthal Center has done with uh, people in the former community. I know that uh, uh, you guys, uh, there was the Wiesenthal Center had worked with TJ Leiden, uh, Tim Zoll, Tim Garrett, um, a, number of, a number of other people. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, the work with the formers and why you feel that's important? Sure. Uh, you know, you mentioned T.J. Lydon. T.J. was really the first uh, uh, prominent skinhead, first really skinhead to get out of the movement and go public. And uh, in my role, it's my job to meet with him uh, on a first time he came to the Museum of Tolerance on a Sunday afternoon and, and talk to him, find out where he was coming from, spent many hours with him uh, after that, you know, going through his experiences and uh, not only what he did over the years, but what led him, what led him to come to us. Uh, as you say, he's not the only one. He was the first. We then found that people were interested in hearing him speak, including law enforcement agencies that wanted to, to learn from him. Uh, so it's my job to, to uh, take him out across, all over the country in, in many cases to to do those things. Uh, as you say, we've had other uh, uh, formers get out of the movement, come to us, uh, some we can work with, some that we haven't been able to, to for, for various reasons. But uh, it's, it's important because uh, somebody like TJ, interestingly enough, one of the first places we took him was a school. And it was a heavily Hispanic school where some of the kids were, you know, I, they were, you know, middle school, they were on the edge of, of getting into the gang movement. And uh, some were, were seriously asking him questions. And even though their experience would be quite a bit different between white supremacy and, and uh, uh, street gangs, they still learned from him, they had questions for him. And, and uh, 
it, it was just his first time out was a very rewarding experience. So uh, the, taking, taking people like that, taking them to different communities and, and uh, you mentioned TM Garrett, he does some great things working with taking, taking formers out to meet with the people that they would have been targeting otherwise, uh, people in the African-American community, uh, et cetera. So uh, it's, and as you, I think you've experienced yourself, you find out that, that when you get out there and you talk to people, you, you in some cases are surprised by the reception that you get because, because people do want to hear these things. They want to hear why you were there. But on the other hand, they're also very happy that you're out, that you're speaking about it and that you're doing good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, for me, I, I have to say, um, you know, the first synagogue that I had ever been in in my entire life was with, uh, with you guys in the Wiesenthal Center. And it was, it changed my life. You know, it was, it was so moving. And I had a lot of fear. I don't like the word fear, but I had a lot of concerns or worries uh, going in there that, you know, people were going to be a certain way, you know, all these old biases and things from the past. And uh, even to this day, I don't think I'd been hugged by so many people in one room in, in one day ever. You know, the, the outpouring of, of kindness and love and, and uh, uh, support that I experienced there was, was the exact opposite of everything that um, I had believed before when I was involved in the movement. So, um, again, it's another reason why I wanted to have you guys on the, on the program was to, you know, to discuss some of these things and, and uh, you know, to let everybody know how moving that is and how, how uh, life-changing it is. You know, you can, a lot of times with people, I think in general, in, in society, you meet people and, and you, you get a, a negative vibe from different people or you get positive vibes from other people. And, and uh, there was just so much uh, love and support there. It, it really, it, it, uh, it, was, it was really a, 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 quite an awakening. Allison, uh, you, were, you could maybe talk a little bit about that day. So actually, Jeff, I was thinking of you a great deal in the last 24 hours with this whole story with Nick Cannon because he, he has asked for forgiveness and he has gotten a great many people an outpouring from, for example, the Simon Wiesenthal Center, who thinks, as Rabbi Cooper said, that this is sincere and he's willing to learn. Um, but I also know that when we, I posted on Facebook about his his. Um, conversation with Rabbi Cooper and that he is asking for forgiveness. Many people on Facebook um, from the Jewish community responded to me, we shouldn't forgive him. Do you really believe him, etc.? And I thought of you, Jeff. I thought about you a great deal at that point. And I thought, and I said to people, he deserves forgiveness. Who am I to judge? I'm not God. Um, we as Jews specifically believe in that concept of asking for forgiveness and for allowing it. And I know that you thought that that was a profound moment for you at the synagogue because you felt that you were on your journey from the Jewish community to have forgiveness. Unfortunately for Nick Cannon, people are skeptical. I, I feel badly about that. And then the other tide has turned on him, and I'm sure this has happened to you in your experiences as well. And that is that there are people in Mr. Cannon's community who have t 
told him he's sold out and that they're angry at him and that he shouldn't ask for forgiveness from the Jewish people. So I think the last statement I read just recently from him was, I'm done, goodbye earth. I think he's going off of social media because he's taken so much abuse on the other side from community members who don't believe it's real or feel that he's sold out. So um, your journey at the synagogue, um, which I hadn't known when I met you, was your first time in a synagogue, was real. People looked at a man and said, we see the compassion on your face. Uh, I, I also would believe, Jeff, that in your journey earlier when you became part of the National Socialist Movement, if you had met people that had reached out to you, you wouldn't have fallen and slipped so far into it. And I think that people have to understand that many people fall into hate groups or gangs because they're looking for family. And that's what, the, the, though they're espousing hate, that's what this becomes to people who are by themselves. And all of a sudden you're part of something and then you buy into it because you want to be like them and be part of the cool kids. Um, so I don't know, but I think, you know, forgiveness is a different journey. And you and I had an email exchange and I said it was easy to forgive you because though you expounded hate, from what I could tell, you never practice it. You didn't kill. You didn't beat up people. If I met Dr. Mangala today, who was you know the most horrific human being of one of the most horrific human beings of the Holocaust, with the experiments he did on people, I couldn't forgive him. There's a different level of forgiveness here. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Rick. And regarding your experience, uh, I, I I wasn't even there, but I talked to you that night, and I understood, uh, and I felt the same thing. How profound that experience that was uh, for you, but it only reconfirmed what I knew from my first meeting with you, uh, because you told me a couple of things within five minutes of our meeting uh, that that told me I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy is on the level, he's sincere, and our subsequent conversations have only confirmed that. Uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's great. I wish anyone who questions or wonders about your sincerity or anything else could actually experience what Allison and I have with you. Well, thank you, Rick. I mean, that, and that, I, I did want to expand a little bit on that um, because it is very difficult <clears throat> for a lot of people that get out. And I've had some some people in the public and and uh, other formers, a few, a couple of them, and just uh, people in general that don't uh, are suspicious or they feel like things are not sincere. And in the work that uh, we do with Beyond Barriers, not just the, this podcast, but with the nonprofit that we started is we're working with all kinds of different people, formers. Uh, the reason why I started is after getting out and starting up my personal website, I was getting all these people that were contacting and asking questions about leaving. And a lot of them said that they wouldn't reach out to some of the other groups because they didn't know the people that were involved in, in those, or they had never heard of them, or in some cases that they were too far uh, personally left leaning in their in their um, ideologies and things like that so they didn't feel comfortable reaching out to them and 
And uh, so I formed up the, along with the team of people that we have, uh, we formed up the Beyond Barriers nonprofit to give people an option uh, when they're reaching out to talk with us. And, and uh, we're working with people all the time uh, reaching out and um, it's absolutely incredible. But one of the things that's damaging is when you do, especially in the public realm, when you have somebody, whether it's from the CVE community, uh, or the media or um, other formers and they're saying damaging things. I mean, for me, I, I'm out, I've, you know, I've spoken out against the movement. Um, I do the work that I do now and that's not, nobody can, can change that. But a lot of, a, a lot of other people have, are more, I don't know if fragile is the right word, but they're, they're in a place where they could go, they're on that fence where they could go one way or another. And I really worry about a lot of these people because they could, I feel that some of them, the newer ones could slip back in if they're not welcomed out here. And, and uh, you know, and as Allison said too, you know, the power of forgiveness and stuff. I mean, we, those of us that were in, that were formers, we know that what we were doing was wrong. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good thing. We've, especially those of us that speak out, we're very open about it. We've, we've, uh, you know, we literally risk our lives, you know, to say, say these things. It, it could be, a, it would be a lot easier not to, it'd be a lot easier to do something different. So um, to be honest, it's very difficult when there's, there's people that, that say or doubt these things. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for you guys because, um, you know, some of the experiences I've had with the Wiesenthal Center and also that, you know, that I was given a chance that I was able to meet with people and, and get to know you guys. And a lot of the critics, I, I think, actually, I know a lot of the critics are people that have never even met. And it's not just me, but they do it to other people that leave as well. Um, they never met these people. They don't, they don't know them. So how can someone, it feels almost, to me, it's almost as polarizing as being in the movement and saying, all the Jews are bad. All the blacks are bad. It's, it's the same thing. It's, it's almost like it's just as intolerant where they're saying, hey, those, they're not sincere or they're not sincere enough or they haven't gone far enough or done enough things and they, they uh, doubt you. And um, I don't know if you got, either one of you have any uh, thoughts on that. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that people need to understand is like everything else, every former has a different story. Uh, they have different reasons for getting out. They have different beliefs. And we're not here. We don't care about what your beliefs are. Uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, you need to be more left thinking if you're going to be a former and the like. No, you need to be out of the movement. You need to be concerned about what happens in the movement. The formers that I've experienced uh, are, uh, and, and TJ is, is a good example, are the most angry when something happens. When, you know, a Charlottesville or, or some other incident like that happens, the formers are the most angry about what's going on and the publicity that they're getting and uh, and Jeff, you were a good example because you were you were very good at publicity in terms of where you where you took rallies and 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 things like that. But uh, I I I don't care if what somebody's beliefs are as long as they're out of the movement. 
some people say, well, you know, they're still uh, uh, so militant and so far right and so forth. It, everybody has to, to find their own level at some point. And even those that if they're out of the movement, I think they will they'll come around to, to understanding both sides. That's, that's all anybody asks is understand the other side from where, from where you were initially. Yeah, and that's, I think that's that goes, and that, sorry, Jeff, I think that goes to some, a lot of what we do at the Wiesenthal Center, and that is to bring communities together. I think that you have to understand your similarities and respect your differences. And that's the, the, the conversations that aren't happening anymore. We're working on it here in Chicago right now, where we're going to bring um, it's, you know, it's a small start, but it's a start because based on what we're seeing today, we're going to bring five young professional, Jewish young professionals and five black um, Christian professionals together in a Zoom call. And um, so that they can start exploring and understanding each other. And then we're going to have an action step after that because, you know, we don't want the conversation to stop there because you've accomplished nothing. But we need to give opportunities to communities who've never met to hear what it's like. We had conversations in my own office. I could hide my Judaism, right? I could tuck in my Jewish tower, take off my yarmulke if I wore one, etc. There's ways of hiding our Judaism. But a black person can never hide their skin color and will always be black. And those are real conversations that we've had here in the office. And I think that, you know, the Jewish communities, we don't understand anti-Semitism. Well, you know, I don't understand racism and I don't understand Latinos or Im people who are immigrants who are afraid either. And that's why it's so important that the Simon Wiesenthal Center works with so many different communities because it's the only way we're going to change the conversations and to, and to work together is by understanding in some ways, our shared backgrounds, because so many of us in different ways are oppressed, unless, forgive me, you're a part of the, you know, I'm like a national socialist movement. We're equally hated by the movement. So why don't we get along with, you know, outside of it? That, and that's just it. I mean, it's, it's understanding both sides. It's being able to sit down and have this dialogue um, with everybody. And, and I know even for myself and my own journey, like learning, especially being in the movement, you know, it's like, I got over the racism. I don't have anti-Semitism anymore, all these things, but I still had some bias towards the far left. And I still, you know, of course, you know, I still have some bias. Um, I have a lot of friends that are left leaning and a lot of my personal beliefs are on the left as well. Even I, I consider myself sort of a classic liberal where I, I now where I accept everyone, but learning not to use bias and not to, not to instantly be like, well, I'm not going to hear that person because they're over here and I don't agree with that. I mean, that's what we did in the movement. That's how, that's how it was with everything. You just painted everything with a broad brush. All these people are communists. All these people are Jews. All these people are blacks. And this, this horrible, closed-minded uh, bubble, echo chamber, that where you're not listening and you're not hearing what other people have to say. And, and uh, I think as a society, and even starting in elementary school, if we just, as you said, Allison, you know, having more... Uh, 
experiences with people from other backgrounds. And it's not that I didn't have an opportunity, it's that I closed my mind to it. But as a, as a young person, as a child, I didn't really, I grew up in an all white area of Minnesota and I just didn't have those experiences. And when I got older, I closed myself off to it like many, like many other people do that are trapped in these, uh, whether it's the far right or, or a cult or a gang or, or, or another form of extremism. Uh, you get caught up in there and you don't open your mind and you don't give yourself an opportunity to learn. So I think it's incredible uh, the, the work that the Wiesenthal Center does across all these different uh, lines to work with all these different communities and, and, and uh, understand that. And the, pe the people out there that are listening, you know, know that, uh, well, you should know you can come to Beyond Barriers, you can come to the Wiesenthal Center or any other uh, groups that are that are doing this uh, kind of excellent work. Uh, Jen, I think that one of the conversations we should have, however, is that especially today in a pandemic and people are quarantined, um, the work that Rick Eaton's doing is really extraordinary because students, children, adults are on the internet and they're seeing racist remarks and or they're in chat rooms where someone's saying things and it's easy to say, oh, you hate Jews, I hate Jews. You hate blacks, I hate blacks. And again, it's another way of, of, of guiding the conversation and the hate so that maybe I didn't hate these people, but now I'm listening to, I've got nothing else to do, I'm on the, right, I'm on the internet. So wait, maybe there's validity to what they're saying. So I would say that, you know, Rick, I'm sure that you're seeing a great deal more hate on the internet, especially during the pandemic, the quarantine that we're all experiencing. Oh, absolutely. And we've got not only that, but also with all the other social issues that have been going mm -hmm. on. Uh, it's, it's absolute chaos out there. It really is. And, and uh, it, it concerns us to the point where, where we are, we have been, we have, as Allison knows, we've been working on a, uh, a program to take into schools well, we've also been doing uh, some of these programs about social media and the perils uh, in, in Zoom conferences with students and, and uh, uh, groups of young people uh, that, you know, keeping that going until we can actually get back in classrooms and, and talk about this. Because as, as Allison said, the, the, the online reinforcement is just, uh, uh, it can be, can be chaotic. So, Rick, are you seeing a, are you seeing quite an uptick in radicalization online right now uh, in the work that you're doing? It's interesting because it's hard to say because not much else is going on. You know, you don't. If, for example, take take I, I keep going back to this, but but take what happened in Charlottesville, leading up to the the 2016 election, you had a lot. You had a new generation which came along the alt right. You had a lot of young people that were, were getting online and they were posting things and they got excited about what was going on, something that they really hadn't done with elections prior to that. Um, and those people got, you know, got active online through 2017 leading up to Charlottesville, they got active in terms of actually going out to places. And the week before Charlottesville, I had a, group, a local group show up at a talk that I was giving uh, you know, people that have really never been activists. There were a couple of leaders that obviously had, uh, but here are all these people that really hadn't. Uh, and then 
at Charlotte's, after Charlottesville, they tended to drop off, said, well, this isn't exactly what I got in for. Right now, with this pandemic and, and not many things going on publicly, it's, it's, it's a little hard to say just how, how uh, deep the radicalization is. I'm sure some of it's out there, but uh, it, it, until we get back to some kind of normalcy to know you know, what, what uh, uh, people are up to in general, I, it's hard to say. Plus the, the I, I think there is, let me say this, I think there is radicalization in, you know, personal beliefs and things like that. The good news is, you know, that the, uh, and it's a good thing that the, the, the white nationalists and, and others are kind of in disarray anyway uh, over the last couple of years. So how much uh, that those personal beliefs are translating into support for those type of people and groups, we, we just don't know yet. Well, and another thing I want to mention, too, is the Simon Wiesenthal Center does, um, for the listening audience, you know, Rick and I, uh, as you recall, we were on a, a panel there in California called the State of Hate. So um, the Wiesenthal Center has does outreach to uh, people, policymakers and and things like that to try to make change. Um, not just uh, at a grassroots level, like what we've discussed about uh, bringing different communities together, Muslims and Jews and, and Christians and, and black and white and, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, but also the Wiesenthal Center has, uh, has some outreach as far as uh, making connection with policymakers. If I recall, you know, there was uh, at least one or two senators there, Rick, and uh, maybe Congress people. Twid, you talk a little bit about uh, that as well? Uh, that, that particular forum was actually the California State Assembly. It was actually a hearing for the uh, California State Assembly, uh, and I believe there were four uh, State Assembly members there. I think there may have been a local Congress person as well uh, that you know, they were, they were kind of doing research and, and getting, getting information on, on what was going on, uh, what the, the levels were, what, what type of activity and things like that. And uh, just, I, I have to say that uh, for really, I think for you, a first time out, uh, uh, doing anything like that, you made a very impactful presentation about, about the movement and and, and the realities, uh, uh, Professor Levin and myself and the, the, uh, the law enforcement person that was there can talk about what we see from the outside. But, uh, and I specifically wanted you on that panel because, and as we've talked about, the, 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 the Assemblyman's uh, office, Assemblyman Bloom, talk to me and others, and, and I wanted you on that panel because your information was so new and the like. Other people that do what I do had advised them, oh, don't use Jeff, he's only been out a short time, it's too new. You had absolutely the freshest information and that's, mm -hmm. that's what you hear. Uh, and the more forums like that and, and hearings that we can do to, to make a difference in policy absolutely is important. I'm glad you raised that. Thank you, Jeff, because here in Illinois, we've worked um, with the state legislators on our hate, on the hate crimes bill. We're updating it. What's the reporting mechanism? 
um, what con constitutes a hate crime, etc. We were obviously it's been delayed now because of the um, pandemic, but that's something that Illinois is very concerned about, and the uh, governor has taken great leadership in the legislators, and we will continue to um, work on it. it. Actually, began, um, but it was begun by a Muslim woman who came to a legislator and then that legislator reached out to us. So we are, we do take those things very seriously because there has to be a reporting mechanisms or even if a police officer arrests someone for a hate crime, we have to make sure that they're calling it a hate crime and that if they do call it a hate crime, then what happens in terms of prosecution and it does change that. So um, legislation in those arenas are extremely important to us. Thank you. And um, Jennifer, I know we haven't heard much from you because we're not uh, seeing you on the Zoom, but uh, do you have any questions and, and or anything you'd like to add to the conversation? I've just been enjoying the conversation, <laughs> listening very much. And I just want to say thank you to both of you for the work that you do. Um, it's It makes my heart happy and I greatly appreciate it. And uh, it's it's just so important, so very important. Thank you. Can I share one last thing for a minute? Of course. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're hoping by um, September literally to roll out the first in the United States for the state of Illinois Mobile Museum of Tolerance. And that is going to be a bus. It takes everything that you learn within the Museum of Tolerance in Los Angeles and it's going to be converted into a classroom that will roll up to the schools because, you know, as we all know, people don't always live in diverse communities. So we're going to bring the diversity to the community and have these hard discussions and teach the civil rights and women's rights and LGBTQ and anti-Semitism and civil rights and all of the things that are important in these conversations. Um, it is a, a wonderful educational tool. I'm very proud of the state of Illinois for supporting it. Um, and then uh, stay tuned. One day we'll get you on the bus. And um, you'll see that I anticipate that other states are going to want this kind of educational experience as well. I remember, I remember you talking about that when we met in Illinois and, and met with some school teachers or, or people from the public school system and, and things like that. And I think it's a fantastic idea. I think it's something that I, I agree. I, I think it'll probably be replicated in every state across the country eventually because, uh, you know, you're bringing the message directly to the people. It's, it's incredibly grassroots. It's in, incredibly important. And, um, you know, I think through education, through dialogue and through experience, we can really change the world in, in a phenomenal way. And uh, people can see that this isn't about race or religion or you know all those things are important to different people and everything but that one, we're one human race that that humanity as a whole even though we have some of these small differences whether it's in religion or race or ethnicity all these sort of things uh which are important to a lot of people but that we're all really the same and that we have uh so much more in common and if we can just bridge those gaps and create an understanding between all the different people of, of the world, you know, I mean, the world's going to be a better place. We don't need any more holocausts. We don't need any more genocides. We don't need uh, uh, the polarization that we're seeing between even in, in the country right now, the Republicans and the Democrats, everything's so polarized that people are not having dialogue. People are not having 
these incredible and important conversations. And, and uh, that's why I, I'm such a, a staunch supporter of the Wiesenthal Center and the work you guys do because you're trying to bridge those gaps. You have been bridging those gaps for a very, very long time. And a lot of it is unnoticed, I think, by the, the general public. So any opportunity we can get to, to platform I know uh, this is a very small platform for Beyond Barriers and the podcast, but any opportunity we have to uh, to show the world that the wonderful work you guys do, I, I think it's it's just it's, it's so important. And uh, it, you know, when you talk about like unsung heroes or people that are not often recognized, I think a lot of people in the peace building community that are are working with these interfaith. Uh, commissions and, and bringing people together are not recognized a lot of times because there's so many negative uh, things going on in the world. So I think it's incredible the work that you guys are doing. And it's so, so important, especially for people or like myself that had been those polarizers that had been those uh, divisive individuals in the past. Um, it, you know, it's, it's really meaningful to know that there's groups and missions and people uh, like yourselves that that are engaged in this and have been for a very long time. Uh, I'm new in this on this side of things, and and you guys have been. Uh, I learned so every time I talk to you guys, I learn I learn something. So uh, I'm incredibly grateful. And and uh, uh, does anybody else have any? Uh, did you guys have any questions you wanted to discuss or or um, or anything else on the program? Uh. You know, I just I, I just wanted to go back to what you, your own experiences. Uh, personally, I just get extremely annoyed when I hear about the things that happen and 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 people that question your beliefs because, uh, as what you just said, we're 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 trying to to build those bridges and and somebody like yourself and Jen who who have been you know experienced this movement. Uh, Jen, you literally grew up you know in it. Uh, we we need to to foster those and and one of the reasons being while you were while you were talking Jeff you know it occurred to me there I, I think there's we're seeing an increase of people like yourself that are you know after doing this for a long time are 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 coming to the realization that maybe you've been on the wrong path but unfortunately as you know there is a steady stream of of new recruits that. Mm -hmm you know, that, that come along age, age, you know, I don't even know what, uh, what sorry, with 14, 15, uh, yeah. so forth. And that there's, there's always those people that are going to be influenced. So, uh, sadly, uh, the, this work goes on and, and, uh, there, there will always be, uh, new young people ready to try this out if, if at least for a while. Yeah, that's indeed. true. That's why and it's this, so important to educate them yeah, against. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. That's why it's so important. Even if you're not, uh, you know, your home isn't racist at all, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk to your children about it. That, you know, you have to, you have to educate them because someday some might approach them and try to drag them into uh, that world of hate. And you want yeah. them to be able to know that it's wrong, completely wrong. Right. And, and many, you know, uh, many people 
that that I have spoken to over the years. I mean, Jen, you you grew up with it, but Jeff, I don't think you particularly did. Uh, TJ did not particularly do it, and and in his case, when he started with the the early days of the skinhead movement, his parents didn't really understand what was happening because here, you know, he'd been he'd been a little bit radical, the hair was getting a little long, and all of a sudden he comes home, he starts, he starts dressing what looked appropriately better, uh, cut his hair, you know, and, and so forth. And, and uh, a lot of parents don't really do understand what their kids are experiencing in, in some cases until it's too late. How do you know is the real? How do you know it's a real deal, Rick? I think it's a statement you made, and that I've always wondered about. Uh, well, I, I this some people may say this is this is not the way to go. But uh, having done this as long as I have, and I think that that uh, I, I'm one of the uh, you know longest running uh, you know researchers in this field that is still is still doing this. Uh, uh, there are a number of things that I, I come from a perspective. A is uh, somebody like Jeff puts up a website and says, I'm out of this movement, I'm trying to do good. From my perspective, there's absolutely no going back at that point. Uh, and mm-hmm. it does automatically is going to be hated by both sides because you're not going to be trusted by the people in the movement nope. and people, uh, uh, people like us are going to look at it and say, well, you said you were getting out and then you're going back. You're not really committed. Uh, so that was one thing. But when I, when I heard about Jeff, I saw this website that he had put up and I immediately said to uh, uh, my boss, Rabbi Abraham Cooper, I said, I have to go meet this guy. The sooner the better. And I think it was probably three days after uh, I saw your website that I was sitting with you in, in Detroit. And as, as I said, in the, in the first few minutes we started talking, you related a story to me, and I don't know if you want to tell this story or want it known about your mother. Uh, and that was similar to, to the stories that I had heard from other people such as TJ. Uh, and that pretty much told me that, that I'm getting the straight story here. Uh, but it was also, we sat down for, uh, for a, uh, a long period of time, I think something like three hours that night. Uh, and uh, whatever I asked uh, of Jeff, he gave me straight answers and, and uh, did not, as far as I can tell, you know, pull any punches. And, and that, uh, I think I have a little bit of sense of this after 34 years, so. Uh, we leave this Jeff again? No. Oh, there you <laughs> Technical difficulties. No, that was really great, Rick. Uh, and, and thank you so much for, for sharing about that because uh, that is one of the, the complications, um, I, I guess you could say, of leaving that a lot of people don't think about, you know, so when there's, there's those people out there that say, hey, this person's not out or, or things like that. Once you start doing this, especially from the, the movement's perspective, you are the absolute worst traitor in their minds than anything. I mean, they, they feel like 
it's the ultimate betrayal to speak out. And even if you're not, I don't say anything uh, that's horrible. I don't think, I mean, I'm out here preaching peace and all that, but uh, because I speak out against racism and hate, um, it definitely draws the ire of uh, the people from, from that, uh, from that scene. I mean, I've gotten death threats, uh, from far right and far left, uh, since I've been out, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that, uh, people have to behave that way. But, um, you know, really when you're out and you, you're publicly out, I mean, it's one thing, you know, like for a lot of the people, uh, we were discussing earlier, like a lot of the people that I'm working with that are kind of, uh, a lot have left and there's others that are kind of on that fence and they're in that process of leaving. And, um, if they haven't gone public, you know, those type of people can slip back in, you know, but once you've gone public, there's no going back. You can't, uh, you can't go back into that, that life and, and things like that. So it's incredibly harmful when there's individuals out there, uh, that, that doubt or that, uh, that public, especially publicly say things against people that have chosen this path because it's an incredibly difficult path. It's the right path to be on. Um, and it feels good to be doing good things and, and uh, preaching peace and, and solidarity and unity and all those kind of things. Um, and it's really important. And it's, it's uh, to me, I feel like it's a duty for me to kind of repair the damage, fix the damage I've done from my past by helping others and maybe in some small way, uh, making amends for for the mistakes and sins of the past by fixing things and, and doing the right thing. So it's not an easy path, but I feel it's the right path. And it's not the path for everybody. A lot of people, when they leave, they just want to quietly go on with their lives and, and things like that. And, and that's, that's really good too. You know, that's fine. Uh, for me, because I was so public and because I was uh, a known figure in that, uh, in that world, I feel like it's more of a responsibility for me to uh, preach tolerance, understanding, and, uh, and that everybody gets along and, and uh, in the peace building sphere here. So it's, it's incredibly important for me to do, to do what I do. But right. um, yeah, just, right. when, when TJ got out of the movement and, and he was the first one to go public, uh, we, uh, we had a couple of news stories. There was a, uh, uh, I, a TV documentary and uh, we got a lot of calls from, from other people to congratulate him and said, boy, I'm really glad you got out. I got out, I did it quietly. You know, it's not the easiest movement to get out of in the first place. So people, you know, say, well, I'm taking a job in Arkansas or someplace and they go, uh, you know, they get out that way and, and slip away quietly. And that's fine, uh, but I was I was a little surprised by all the calls that we did get, uh, wanting to talk to TJ, congratulate him for getting out. Uh, again, just as I said earlier, some were on different paths, but they were they were out of the movement, and they weren't anyone who's out and active and not active is is fine by me. Right. And I'm glad you pointed that out, too, because, you know, I was focusing on some of these little negative aspects of leaving. The positive aspects farly outweigh the negative. And, and you're right. I mean, there was people that, that I work with now or that have contacted me since I got out that I hadn't heard from that had been in the NSM 10, 15, 20 years ago. 
that had just quietly people just mm -hmm. often it's a revolving door so it's there's people that just quietly leave sometimes they don't even say nothing they just left the organization and all of a sudden i get an email or a phone call from somebody i haven't heard from in years and there's hey i saw you got out of the movement congratulations so i mean the, there's an incredible network of people that had made that change that are out and um and most of society you know there is those you know discuss like there is those negative people and there's those doubters and things like that but i believe and i inherently believe this that most people most human beings are kind and forgiving and and uh understanding and they do want to see good and they do want to see uh change and positivity and things like that and i have to remind myself of this all the time too when some of these other individuals that say negative things start getting me down is that that is the minority those negative people are the minority and quite often if they're saying or doing something to drag someone else down especially a complete stranger or somebody that they don't really know and they're just saying well i think this person's this or that those people are probably really unhappy in their in their um personal lives or have some kind of trauma or something else that's troubling them that would drive them to do that and i see that in in a lot of the polarization we see in society now too like some of these really hateful and negative people and you can you can't even look at twitter without seeing somebody talking about like we should you know uh do terrible things to the the system or the police or the democrats or the republicans it's just it's just awful and you have to wonder what some of those people if they're just not happy in their their uh, own lives and that's why they well, one, of, one, of, one of the places you went earlier that you were talking about extremism extremism uh, on either side is mm -hmm. is wrong uh mm -hmm. and uh and uh you know it's one thing to be out in the streets and protesting and i know you've talked about this in previous podcasts and things like that uh, when you're you're damaging property and things like that uh, is bad, and on the other side, when you're you know you're showing up at the state capitol somewhere with with your uh, unnecessary weapons and things like that uh, to to make a point, just as you know those statues were put up to make a point, then that's that's a form of extremism that's wrong as well, uh, because you're trying to intimidate somebody. So. Uh, extremism on both ends uh, is wrong and we, we all need to recognize it. Mm -hmm. I would agree and I think that one of the things that resonated me recently was um, someone tweeted out, um, you can't elevate yourself at the expense of somebody else. And that's exactly it. You can't right. say, you know, look at me, but it was in reference specifically about black Jewish relations and you can't say as a black person, we're going to elevate, our, elevate ourselves, but then we're going to be anti-Semitic to another people. But that whole concept is what I think you're talking about. Um, and that is we're either just good people um, and, and you have to uh, embrace the good in others. And yes, everybody has bad in them and we all have implicit bias and we all have to work on how we look at things. But I think that, um, we have the ability and you've proven it and, and congratulations to you to move forward. And, and the fact that you're public about it is really testament to you. Um, because you are trying to help others and it's a, it's a wonderfully healing factor for you. And I really admire you for it, Jeff. Thank I do as well. Thank you all so much. It's, uh, I think this is an incredibly 
moving episode of, of uh, Beyond Barriers. And, and I'm so thankful for, for all of you and all the wonderful people that support the work that uh, both the Simon Wiesenthal Center does, Beyond Barriers does, and uh, all the other wonderful organizations out there that are preaching peace and trying to bring people together for dialogue, understanding, empathy, compassion, all these uh, peace building. Um, it's, it's a it's moving, it's incredible, it's powerful. I thank you both so much uh, for, for joining Jen and I on the program uh, today. If anybody else has anything um, else, you know, uh, we... Just thank you for your work and, and keep doing what, you, what you're doing and uh, keep shrugging off the people that don't take it seriously because uh, I, I was going to make a reference earlier, it's a fact that that you know that the old saying the bigger they are the harder they fall well uh, uh let's be honest you're you're the you know the most prominent member to ever get out of this movement so it's you know uh, for some unknown reason not everybody takes that seriously but uh, again it goes back to what i said it's not something that you can back off from you're doing good work uh and you need to need to keep it up and and uh we will try to support you as, as much as we can at the simon wiesenthal center thank you rick thank you for the opportunity thank you allison thank you for joining us thank you jen